everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Tellage Talks. Our guest this week is Andre Knott. He is the dugout reporter for the Cleveland Indians on their cable broadcasts, and he has done this for several seasons now and does an outstanding job of getting close and intimate with the players without, of course, uh, betraying any confidence that they may have between each other. He really walks the line between giving so much information that's pertinent to the broadcast and to the lives of these players without betraying the confidence. It's a very difficult line to walk, and I think he does it as well as anybody in the business. And of course, you've probably seen him get drenched by the bucket of Gatorade after a walk-off victory. That seems to have become part of the job. We sat down, had a great conversation, so I hope you enjoy it. And also, if you get the opportunity to, to go to where you get your podcast to subscribe to it, to play, and if the opportunity arises, if you can share this, I certainly would appreciate it very, very much. Young broadcaster and outstanding in what he does, Andre Knott, this week on Tellage Talks. Very excited to have Andre Knott. You are Mr. Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the whole podcasting thing came around weird for me, John, um, because after I... Obviously, I was in radio for a long time. Yep. And when I wasn't in radio full time, I realized how much just BS it meant to me. <laughs> um, and I've got the perfect partner in Zach Jackson, who we would BS anyways. And we said, we might as well record this and see if anybody ex- actually cares. And it's been unbelievable to us that we've had people and we've had a following. And, and it makes me, I don't, and I guess I'm at that age where I still don't know. I love what I do every day. Yeah. But I like having conversations, especially about sports and just about the world. Uh, so the podcasting has become that that outlet for me to get away from everyday life. And it's kind of a cool thing. I want to let uh, the very few listeners I have so far <laughs> know it's called the A to Z Podcast with Andre Knott and Zach Jackson. You bill yourselves as just two fat kids. Two fat kids from Akron. And I'm not a fat kid from Akron. But it was a good like it was. It's kind of it tells a lot about Zach and I. Um, we don't have a problem making fun of each other, ourselves, and it's a little bit mocking this big poster in front of us. Not mocking, <laughs> but, you know, LeBron James made it big, you know, I made it big, and I love it. Like, yeah. I've got the t-shirt, a kid from Akron, and sure. it's amazing to me when I travel with the Indians, how many different towns I can go to, JT, and you see a kid from Detroit or a kid from, you know, everyone wants to represent where they're from. Right. And for us, we wanted to represent where we are from. But put a pun upon it because we like eating cheeseburgers at Swinson's as well. <laughs> and you like getting those plugs in. Yes, <laughs> yes. So that was our way of, if we make that like our name, every food company will, will sponsor us. It still hasn't worked completely out that way. But that was the thought process. <laughs> so you're a fat kid from Akron growing up. Yes. Uh, so Allegedly. And you were a real good athlete at Akron St. Vincent St. Mary. In fact, joke is, uh, and maybe it's really not even a joke, LeBron James had to be one of those underclassmen that saw, hey, big yeah, football star yeah. Andre not up there. I want to be it's, like this guy. It's scary because that that's the running joke is that, um, and LeBron has laughed at it too, that when you went to St. V, one of the pictures you looked at in the football locker room or the workout room is um, you had to look at a picture of me. And it's weird to talk about, but <laughs> because at St. V, if you make all Ohio, or if you make all city or all district, um, like, and Frank's like, put it there. All right, I got to tell this. At St. V, for, for the younger generation, please give us, give me two minutes. <laughs> at St. V, when I went there in the mid 90s, late 90s, Frank Stams and Jerome Lane were they were LeBron they were right the gods. you they, they were, were gods. gods so much so in the locker room that I'm talking about yes my picture hung 
and that was and that was great. So the Romeo Travis's, LeBron's, uh, Dorian Grant, like they're 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 all all these guys that I go to her interview and they're like, we know you, and it's like <laughs> and it like gives you chills. And I was like, yeah. Well, for me, it was just a picture and like all the you know t- touchdowns, titles. Frank Stamps had an actual locker still at St. V on Green Street where they took a case out. His jersey still hung. His helmet still was there. His like it was. It, he had like a it hall was like of a fame. Memorial. It was a memorial to Frank Stamps. He's very much. Yes, alive. he's very much alive. I love Frank, and now I'm friends. And that's the beautiful. That's the beautiful thing of life. And I hope younger people can hear this. And 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 I say this is that I grew up dreaming to be Frank Stamps, to be Rick, Ricky Powers. Uh, to be Joe Danzi. Those were like the running backs and the huge stars in Akron when I was growing up. And at 41 years old now, JT, I am friends with those guys that all said, all the guys, Quentin Brooks was a basketball player that went to Firestone High School. Then he went to Michigan State. He lived in the neighborhood. I remember him running around with the Walkman Discman. And he'd <laughs> run around because we lived in a metro park. And he was like four or five years older than me. And I remember my dad, now he grew to 6'10 or whatever. And he, you know, he went to Michigan State. But I remember my dad telling me as he was like, hey, if you want to make it, that kid works on his own. No one's, he goes, his dad isn't out there pushing him. His mom's not out there pushing him. His coach isn't out there pushing him. He's running and he's doing this stuff on his own. Nice. And, you know, Frank Stams, I remember when he played for the Browns, like at the end. And for me, like when he showed up and now... Every once in a while, I'll get an email or a text, and it says Frank Stamps, and my and my heart skips. It you're still, still does. That kid. You're, yeah, that, you're, you're that kid in Akron that's absolutely. grown up and idolizing these Absolutely. Guys. I'll tell this, Quinn, and Romeo, I'm going to get you for this, and you should come on this podcast. Yes. So Romeo is watching the Indians game the other night. Did you mean this podcast or your Yeah, yeah, yours. He come on ours, too. I, <laughs> yes, want to, I love Rome. Rome, Rome is, is great. We're good. We're you good. know why? Rome is the American story. LeBron is a great story, obviously, but sure. Romeo is, to me, just as great a story because he's made basketball his life. No, he never played in the NBA. He's a champion overseas two, three times over. It's a great family guy. Still lives in Akron. Just got his, just graduated from Akron U. Yes. Um, he may have done it differently and it may not be as sexy per se and we may not be able to jam him on at the, you know, at the, at the news at 10 o'clock, but for his neighborhood and for the kids that have grown up and watched him, he's what the story cool. is all about. He right. really is. But the other night he texts me out of nowhere and he's like hey you, at first he tweeted it because he knew he would get it. he goes hey man we're watching the game you think you give me some tickets to tomorrow's game and oh like, no <laughs> and for romeo i would and i go man you got to tell me 24 hours ahead of time i go i can't get you tickets in 12 hours i go i'm, I go, I'm not lebron <laughs> <laughs> but yeah coming from akron and growing up around and those names that i said joe danzi is now an akron policeman he was a running back at firestone uh, early 90s, late 80s, just he was he was just everything. But now he's a great guy, great cop, great father. Ricky Powers was everything. Ricky he was, was tremendous. Ricky and Robert Smith. Ricky my, and Robert. My, yeah. gra- my well, grandfather booked would play on Saturdays sometimes, and if they played on Saturdays, we would come up here and we would go watch Robert Smith during that time. If Robert Smith and Euclid was playing on Friday, we would come up here on fr- like it was like I remember like three weeks in a row we watched both Ricky and Robert. Like so that's what I grew up on around here. And now Ricky is the head football coach at Bookdoll. So that's like. Great. So for me, yeah, all these guys that I, you know, that I grew up wanting to be, I've somehow they kind of twisted and become a part of my life still to this day. It's kind of cool too. I can also recall uh, doing sports here in the early '80s, and we were cutting a, a dare spot over at Euclid High School. You know, the the organization to keep kids off of right. drugs or not to attempt drugs, and we had a bunch of student athletes behind us. One tall, skinny freshman kid. Uh, wearing a track uniform oh, was Robert Smith as a, as a freshman. And then, you know, things obviously uh, went real north for him as, a, as an <laughs> athlete and things things went well. Uh, did you always want to do what you're doing now back when you were a kid um, growing up uh, in Akron? Yeah, yes and no. Thing. I wanted to um, – I come from a family full of educators. 
in my family, you you go to college to become a teacher. <laughs> like it's just it's what it is. Some families are doctors, lawyers. Mine sure. are they 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 are educators. Uh, whether it's college level, whether it's you know my sister's a kindergarten teacher. She's getting her master's. Like it's it's nice. in the it's in the blood. So I always liked reading. I was always a re- I always like reading and writing. And I was always. Um, Terry Pluto helped me fall in love with sports, reading every book that he published. I remember I, my favorite book of all, one of my favorite books of all times is called Loose Balls. Yes. And I read it when I was like 12. And when you're 12 and you tell other kids you're reading Loose Balls, we can all, oh, we can all see all the <laughs> chuckle. Yeah. But it was really like, it was, I've read it like three times and it's about the ABA and yeah. it's just, it's awesome because if you read it, Terry does this great job of, of telling you of like just this, this wild, wild west basketball league. Well, that wild, wild west basketball basketball league is pretty much now what we watch with the NBA and he kind of tells you takes you through the steps of the ABA and how they were losing teams and players are showing up in fur coats five <laughs> minutes before yeah. the, the, the tip off and the, the the three-point shot and a dunk competition a lot of what we love about the NBA came from the ABA so I sell that story because Terry Pluto covered me a little bit when I was Chris Broussard and Terry both covered me when I was in high school and being around Chris because at the time Chris was a right out of Oberlin very young uh, talented, and I look. I and, and I'll be honest. You look at a guy that kind of looks like you a little bit, and he was writing, and he he just was cool and hip, and you know. And I was like, I want. That's what I want to do. And not to make you feel any, your age is fine, but I grew up here. I would. I flew like when you played high school football here, you wanted to see your highlights. So I turned on like Fox. Like I don't care where you were at. We turned on Fox. If we were at Rockney's on North Portage Path, that's where all <laughs> the Savy people go, and I'll shout them out. You would always say at ten, you know, ten thirty. Hey, watch, turn, turn, turn on Fox Eight. We want to see the highlights. Or when that helicopter came on. So all of that made me feel like and realize. And this is a god honest truth. Uh, I had a doctor tell me when I was sixteen years old, I hurt my knee a little bit. Doctor goes, I got good news and I got bad news. Well, I've always give me the bad news first. <laughs> he goes, you're probably about as tall as you're gonna get, young man. And I was like, that's the bad news? I'm like, Shit. You knew that. Yeah. I was like, and my dad stood up. I go, hell, I'm as tall as my dad already. I was like, where is that going? But then he goes, the good news is, you you know, it's an MCL sprain. We could probably get you back on the field in a week and a half, two weeks if you were. And, you know, but like, I remember that conversation. My dad and I have a great relationship. And when we got in the car that day, my dad was kind of like, hey, I'm never going to take the dream away from you. I want you to dream. But you know, the realistic chances of becoming a professional athlete are slim and none. He goes, we'll do anything and everything we can to help you get there. But if it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be, and that's okay. But always in the back of your mind, have a backdrop of what you want to do. And this was it. So absolutely. And I can tell you the other reason. When I got to Kent State to play football and I saw there was 115 other kids and we were the 120th team at 121. And you get the hell beat out of you for about two or three days. The reality of like life goes, okay. So I remember going to a college professor and I said I either wanted to be a team trainer okay. or I wanted to do what I'm doing. And when they showed me all the work, the workload for being a team trainer was like from the top of LeBron to the bottom. To do this was like the basketball. I go, I'll do that. And that led me to here. I've been I've been overly blessed. I really have been. Well, it's been great to see your progress as, as a professional. Really proud of what you have done. And if, for people wondering why we're referring to LeBron, we're sitting in an edit bay <laughs> here at Fox 8. This is actually where a lot of our sports stuff yes. is. You see all the tapes on the on the shelves. And there is a, like 
size cutoff LeBron wearing a Cavs uniform that's been in here for years. And uh, you walk by. Sometimes when you walk by in the hallway, you look in, you think, whoa, (laughs) LeBron there. But the the specter of LeBron's uh, hovering over us, uh, over the city. There's no athlete that I've covered that's been like him. How about yourself? No. Um, It's funny. I have a camera guy now that follows me during Indians games, and he's did the Cavs for the last six years. And... I love this. He's way too talented to do the job he does. And I'm saying Mitch Madden is – follow him on Mitch, Instagram. Yeah. Mitch is a phenomenal photographer. He, what he can do with the – sports is too he's, – he's, he's an artist. He really is. And um, it's funny because him and I were going to the bus or a plane. And I told him beginning of the year because he's worked playoffs with us and different things. And I go, I go, all right, you've had LeBron. I go, I'm telling you because I was around LeBron at 18. I've been around – I've known LeBron off and on since he was 15 years old. But as a professional, I'm always like, LeBron has always carried himself in a way where I knew, because I know his background and where he came from. Sure. And, like, it blows me away still to this day, JT, just how he's never been in trouble, how he's always said the right things. And people can find a little, look, every, you can nitpick. We can nitpick anyone. We can find something anyway. on anyone. Yeah. Uh, but for him to be around this long and for him, to, like, it's amazing to me. It is. But I've told Mitch, I go, okay, you've covered LeBron, been around LeBron, you've traveled with the Cavs, you're going to travel with the Indians. And I go, it's going to be uncanny. I go, within the three months, I go, you're going to come to me two or three times. I go, oh, bleep. That was very LeBron-like. And I go, I guarantee it's Frankie. Okay. And not within our first month. First month, he was working again. He came to me and he goes, damn, you're right. He goes, Frankie has some LeBron in him. You know, yeah, he's yeah. like, and, and this and is a, a good, good way. Thing. It's a, a good, good thing. Yeah. Just like in how he carries himself. Because as you know, we get to see these guys. We don't, we see these guys before they put the uniform on. We see these guys when they're eating lunch or when they're, you know, talking to a teammate or, and there's little things. And Mitch is very intelligent. And that's why I bring this up. So Mitch has a feel like, and he's like, yeah, he goes, you can tell, he goes, not that. And now there's a perfect example. Carlos Gonzalez had signed with, he had finally come up with the Indians in April or whenever it was, it was quickly, it was in and out. Uh, That's unfortunate, but that's my feelings. And Frankie was cool about it. Frankie and Carlos are really tight. They work out together in Orlando. They're good friends. So off the record, I'm sitting there, I'm talking to Carlos, you know, kind of going through, I had met him in spring training, but it was the end of spring training. So we kind of, you know, just because I try to talk to these guys before you interview them, just so they get a feel of what we're going to talk about. Frankie walks by, we, we all talk, we laugh, and boom, we turn the camera on, we start interviewing Carlos, and Frankie just can't help himself. He's in the background just yelling nothing. You know, just being himself, being like a, he's yeah. singing. Being yelling. a pain or whatever. Yeah, being a little bit of a pain. But And we always call it the, um, what's the animal? They walk around and they let their, their they fly. and like I'm like, he can't help himself. And and Mitch said it. Mitch goes, Ostrich? Yeah, ostrich, oh, yes. He goes, the ostrich has always got to come out. He goes, and it's and it was it's not a bad thing. He goes, but whenever somebody else is getting a lot of attention, he goes, LeBron would be the same way. You just hear him yeah. in the background throwing. He goes, it's not being bad or being me. It's just... Frankie does it too. Does. And there's other little things. Frankie's like, Frankie's got his own shoe deal. And I got to tell you, the kid is so generous. About every guy in that clubhouse has a pair of Frankie shoes. Sure. But if you walk around and you don't have a pair of New Balances on, he'll ride you and give you crap all night long. <laughs> Same thing 23 would do when he yeah. was here. It was like, hey, those are nice, but you need to be wearing Nikes. Or, oh, those are nice. Like, and and there's I could, I could go on for like a half hour. But those are just, it's amazing that these athletes that have these unbelievable um, features they, yeah. they have these off the field as well. How did you make the leap from Kent State to initially that you were Radio. you were doing sidelines for mm-hmm. the Cleveland Browns, and then we'll of course get to the the yeah. current Indians job, which you've touched on a little. Um, my I guess because of my relationship with Chris Broussard, Terry Pluto, I interned. That was the one thing my older sister told me. 
Um, Internships go, yes. are cool. Go Gotta work. Do it. Go work for free. Go People, do it. Yep. No matter what it is, and I would tell any kid out there, you go. If you have a dream, go to that building, knock on the door, and say, Mr. I'll Smith, Mr. I'll do whatever. I just want to learn. Yeah. So Terry Pluto helped get me in at Canar and Sports Channel. If you remember old Sports Channel, which, and I didn't do a lot for Sports Channel, but I was, you know, because I was, I was delivering, as my wife says, who's known me for 20 years, she just still sees me as a guy that delivered pizza, but I don't know if that, <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but yes. So uh, you ate half the pizza. Yeah, that joke? that's that the, the joke, joke? right. Yeah. Fat kid from Akron, Thank get you. it? Yeah, it yeah. all goes back to that. Um, so I interned at KNR, and in my last semester at Kent State, I actually got hired um, and it wasn't a sexy job. I was working overnights, Friday and Saturday nights, JT, at 22 years old, 23 years old. I was basically the security guard. And I hit the ID at the top of the hour. Like, I, yep. it wasn't sexy. And I, and, and I got to admit, and I tell this because I want other kids to hear this and realize whatever sacrifices you're making, it's okay. I sacrificed my last year of college. Like, when everybody else on Friday and Saturday nights, they're having, out. I'm like, feeling the same thing, Drake. And I was out in Broadview Heights. By at myself the at the transmitter <laughs> at 3.01 a.m., running to it, hitting the button, making sure I got that ID in. Um, and, 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 and long story short, um, they had a Sunday morning uh, golf show with Darcy Egan. Oh, Darcy Egan from the Plain Dealer. Yes. And Darcy didn't know my name, probably, to be honest with you, but I stayed to answer the phone calls. And I'm, I'm not a – God bless him. I'm not a hunter. I'm not a fisherman. I've fished a couple of times. But that was you going over the edge. Yes, going I did a little beyond. bit more. And the reason I did that is because on Sundays in the fall, I was told by Steve Dole, God bless his soul, he goes, yeah. hey, Steve said, you know, our football pregame show comes on after Darcy. If they need phone calls or need somebody to help out. Now, remind you, I would come in at 9 p.m. Friday night. So you were overnighting it. Overnighting it. And I would be done by 8. But I knew – that the football show started and I love football and John Antis, God rest his soul. He was tremendous to me. Um, he would just, he came in with donuts. He spilled the donuts. He would, <laughs> I saw things that he would smoke. It was, this is old school radio. He smoked cigarettes the entire show with a styrofoam cup next to him. And I'm romanticizing about this because like, I can remember sitting in that booth, a room about as big as we're in. And I go, man, I want to, I want to do this. Like, you know, yeah. like when you get that fit now, remind you, I hadn't been there's to, nothing sexy about this room. No, no, <laughs> but it was for me. Like, yeah, it was, like to, you know, like you. it was yeah. like for me, I was like, this is awesome. They're talking about the game, this, and I would literally go home at like 11 PM, 11 AM noon. And I'd be pooped. And it'd be Sunday, you know, NFL games are coming on. And I would I would sleep through the games, and my friends would go, what, are, what the heck are you doing? And well, lo and behold, like I said, I it just it progressed from there. I would, the next year, I did the um, I did the post-game show, the Browns post-game show on 850. It was Butch Davis's last year. I had no idea what I was doing. Sure. I was 05. 05. I was ranting and raving and, and going back and forth. I wouldn't call him well, Butch. Well, you're, you're on the air. Yeah, you're, I was on the air. You're getting a chance to, right. to develop what you have. Yes. And I, was, and I was, that was probably, this is two years after I've been there. And they put me on the air. And I was doing the Browns postgame show. And lo and behold, David Kelly, who became a really good Leroy Kelly's son. David was over at TAM. Um, David, and like life is just funny. David and I, we would, we would hang out and have dinner together every once in a while. He wanted to pursue getting back into baseball and doing play-by-play. He got a job with the Cincinnati Reds AAA team. Second person he called after calling his father was me saying, okay. hey, there's you know the, the Browns beat reporter job. It's going to open up at TAM. I want you to know. Um, so I call Ray Davis, who I still work for in a small yep. way. Ray Davis is in spring training, and he goes, how did you get my number and how did you know about this? And I go, well, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and I kind of stumbled. And I go, and he goes, 
I'm not I'm not here right now, but as soon as I get back, I want to talk to you. And April 4th, I'll never forget, he gets back. It's my birthday. He interviews me and he hires me to leave KNR to go over to TAM. And unfortunately, in that same year, but fortunately, I was a Browns beat reporter. I was working with Casey Coleman, Mike Snyder, Mike Trevisano, all guys like us. I go back to living the dream. Pinch yeah. myself. There's pinch like so we, myself. I'll never forget. We had to do the Browns roundtable show, you know, the radio, like the preview of the season. And I remember looking, and this is, I feel nerdy saying it. Were you a little intimidated? Absolutely. JT. <laughs> I, like, sat there for the first 30 minutes and, like, had a Diet Coke in front of me. And it never, and, like, and like my hand just, I I couldn't talk. I was just, I was in shock. <laughs> you know, like, it yeah. was, it was, it, the world was going 100 miles an hour. But I, and but at the same time, I remember running out to the car, calling my dad, going, Dad! And, like, like. It's so cool you shared it with your dad then. Yeah, because oh, cool. he knew. And that was – because I was nervous at Kent to get into this. Like, I – you know, like, I was still alone. I didn't want people to hear me on the radio and be embarrass myself or hear me talk on television and embarrass myself. I was – because, like, Brian Winhorse and I are the same age, and we've known each other since we were 10. That guy was writing about me when he was 16 for the Beacon Journal. That was intimidating for me. I'm being honest. I was intimidated yeah. by, gosh, I'm not that good. He's already done, done this. Look what this. Wendy's done, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I had that. So – I'll remember probably six weeks into the season, Casey gets sick. Yeah. Oh, six. Oh, six. This is oh, six. Well. Yes. And, um, you know, for me, I, you knew Casey better than I did, but Casey was an icon to me. He was. I was, I was afraid. Casey gave me some of the best advice, my radio advice, television advice, without even knowing it, just how he carried himself. We were doing a, a radio show in Berea and in Browns, we were in the Browns facility and it was a Saturday morning show. And I will, I, you know, 216-578-1100, let me tell me what you think about the Browns draft. I'll never forget. And I remember looking at Ray Davis like, why am I leading the show? Casey Coleman's right there. Like he, And he's like, well, Casey's going to leave in an hour, you know, this and that. And then I go, okay. So we go to break, and Casey looks at me and goes, hey, kid, you're really talented. And I'm like, oh, thanks. He goes, can I cuss here quickly? This is just a good quote. It's, it's fine. A, yeah, right it's, it's a good quote. He goes, Nobody gives a shit about what Greg in Strongsville cares about the draft. They turn it on to hear you. So tell them your thoughts and, and become Drake. Yes, Andre become Knight. Andre. He goes, they want to hear you. He goes, no one gets in the car and goes, oh, I wonder what Greg in Strongsville thinks. Right. And it's and it's nothing against the callers. Yeah. His point was, believe in yourself. You're good enough. Then we'll go back to that. And I remember I sat there because no one had ever said anything. JT, no one had ever said anything to him. And it's Casey Coleman. Yeah. And he, like, grabbed it. And you know how he was. And he, like, said it, looked at me, and walked. He goes, you want a cup of coffee? And I'm like, no, sir. <laughs> I'm like, I'm okay. And I remember I sat there for, like, four minutes of that break and, like, start sweating almost. But, like, I had to remember what he said. They call it, you're good. You're okay. Believe. Yes. And then a month and a half, month later, we find out that Casey's sick. Yeah. Um, we knew he was sick. We didn't know how bad. And then as I was going into the Browns, so it was a Sunday, week five of the season, we're playing at Cleveland Browns Stadium. And I'm sitting with Mike Snyder. And this is still, to me, like, I would see you guys walk in. I'd see you, Riz. Walk, and I'm like, it's unbelievable, man. I'm going to Browns games for free. I'm sitting up there. These guys, like, like this is unbelievable. And, like, and to me, like, any kid that gets to do that, don't ever lose that feeling. True. And I tell myself, that's, I've been to World Series games. I've done, I, I still, every night at 7 o'clock, I take a deep breath and look around and go, this is awesome. Yeah. Um, but I'm sitting with Mike Snyder. This is a true story, and God bless me, I'm still <laughs> living it. And Snipes, I love you, but you ruined me. And we and Snipes, old one school. One of the nicest guys in the night, world. There's no one much nicer. And Snipes, we're watching the game, but he's still old school, still listens to the radio broadcast. And Jimmy Donovan throws it to 
to down to the field, and Casey does his thing, and you know gives it back, and Snipes takes his headphone out and looks at me because he's leaving one down so I can hear. He goes, Dre, hardest job in the game. He goes, I don't care what game it is. He goes, the sideline guy. He goes, because you don't. Everybody gets the same amount of information. You got to dig. You got to find something different. You got to find other angles. He goes, and Casey, yes, and he goes, and Casey does it so well. He goes, that's the hardest job in the game. Remember that. He tells me that like in the third quarter of the game. I get a call the next morning as I'm walking into the Browns facility that Casey's sickness is getting worse and we're going on the road next week. Or actually, we're at home against the Chicago Bears. I'll remember it. And I was the next guy up. And I go, next guy up? I literally said, next guy up. And they were like, well, we're thinking, we're hoping it's temporary. We're hoping we get Casey back later on in the year. But And rather than bringing in someone, or we think you can do it. I'd never yeah. I'd never done it. Never. Now, uh, you know, I'm a I'm a fan. I know what the job is, but I had never had that job. And I just had the guy that I look up to tell me it's the hardest job. And I like I I I think I text my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time. I text my dad. And then I just sat there and I was numb for about four hours. And um, lo and behold, I was doing a game the next week. Um, and, and the next the following week, we were on the road. Casey was still pretty sick. And I remember I had like a a shirt that wasn't a tuck-in type button-up shirt. It was because I think we were somewhere warm. And I remember I get a text message from Casey, who's almost on his deathbed, and he goes, tuck your shirt in. You don't look like you're a professional. And I'm going, and I'm like, literally, like, what the hell? I'm like, how? And he's, he's I saw I saw you on TV. I know where you guys stand. But Casey was great to me. Um, as he was going through, you know, one of the hardest things we could ever deal with. It was horrific. It was horrific. I mean, for who he was and what he had been through. Just, but he would still find time. Like, and he always told me, you know, Doug Deacon would tell me, and he would say, hey, him calling you sometimes to talk about the game on Mondays is the best moment of the, of the day. Um, and for me, I'm, like, nervous. Like, what did I screw up? What did I do? And lo and behold, Casey gets sick. He passes away. I know other people wanted the job. The Browns and, and TAM, they stuck with me. Somehow I progressively got a little bit better as we went along. Um, I did that for six years, and which was really cool. I've done a little, and then you know, and then the Indians thing kind of came along, and it's been, it's been, I'm, I'm living the dream. I am living the dream. How did you grow into the job with the Browns? I mean, how did you get your professional legs going, get your confidence, Dre, to know, you know, what kinds of questions to ask, what confidences that you can build yeah. with players, and not uh, uh, break through, and you know, keep it's, those confidences. It's the hardest thing. I'm, I mean, I still deal with it today. Yeah, with the Indians. As I always tell my friends, the good stuff you'll never hear me. Like the best stuff I have, it will never go on air. Um, I'm gonna be honest with you, JT. I think Doug Deacon was big for me in this situation. Um, Doug is Doug is one of the most important. Like I, I, I love Doug and Rick Manning so much because they played the game, uh, but they're also down to earth and they can talk to. They can talk. I call Rick Manning right now. I call him the governor because he can make everybody feel good. He can yep. wave his hand. He can shake your hand. He can look you in the eye and talk to you. But he also knows how far to take things with people when it's on the air or off the air. I think my main thing is, and it's corny to say it, is just try to, you try to build relationships. Um, and then if you, as you build relationships, you kind of realize, and for me, what would I want people to know and not know? Like, here, I'll give you an example. Um, There's you, some things you've been given in confidence yeah. that would certainly enhance your career to break the story. Absolutely. But you passed those up numerous times yes. because – that's not your place as no, a professional. I'm not, not. That's not the role that I'm in. It's a weird. And it, at times, trust me, there are times where I I have tug of wars yeah. with 
you know, we just went through one. And yeah. I on my own podcast, I was gonna come out on my own podcast three days before it happened and say, Don't worry, Leonis Martinez is never gonna play for the Indians again. I hear I you. knew that. <laughs> and I and I, I knew it for fact, and he didn't. But I at the same time, it wasn't worth who I am and what I'm doing exactly. to say that. It's like, okay, what if I all right, so fifteen people I just gave, you know, or how many ever. All right, you have that exclusive, but what does that do when I walk back into that clubhouse? Um so that's what I try to think of. And the other thing is Jarrett Bell, a football writer for uh, USA, USA Today. Today. Great guy. Didn't really know me that well, but he kind of took me in. You know, he would come to Browns, and, and he was talking to myself and James Walker at the time. We were young. Okay. We were very young. And he said to us, he goes, how many guys are in this in this clubhouse? Or in this?" And we said, 50, you know, there's a 53-man yeah. roster. And he goes, well, it's your job to know 53 stories. And he goes, and when I say know 53 stories – he goes, the least you can do is know a guy's hometown, know where a guy went to Some college, yep. know like what the big sport is in his town, know what you know what they like to eat. His point was this, and I use this all the way to this day, until my until the day I die and stop doing this, I will always thank Jared Bell for this. I build relationships by talking to these guys about their families, about where they're from, yeah. uh, and I do it without a microphone. If you want to be in this job, by everybody's job is different, but when you can walk up to a guy and just say, hey, how's your kids, how's this, how's that, and I don't have the microphone, when I have to t- ask a tough question, Phil Dawson helped me with this. Because Phil Dawson, I got close to. My two closest guys in the Browns were Phil Dawson and, and Josh Cribbs. They were special teams guys. But when they messed up, the whole stadium knew yeah. they messed up. And it was hard for me at first. And and Phil once said to me, hey, man, when I missed a field goal, I missed a field goal. Yeah. Just, you know. Say it. I say it. Let's get yeah. it out and get it over with. And that was big. And, you know, Lindor has that. I can go through a lot of our guys still. Jason Kipnis, he can be – I call him Chippy Kippy, and I kind of tell. But and, and I, You he can, can tell when he's that yeah, way. Yeah. But he respects it. I know it. And I and, but, and he knows I got to do my job as well. And he even – one time his day, he goes, my dad told me I'm giving you too much crap. And I go, hey, you're fine. <laughs> I get So that's that's – I try to build relationships. Therefore, when I have to ask a tough question, a guy knows. Like with the bullpen – I have a thing with the bullpen guys to this day. Um, if a guy blows a game, and I've gotten in some trouble, Cody Allen and I, we had a different type of relationship. We didn't love each other, but we respected each other. Yeah. And every time he blew a game, I wasn't going to go to him and say, hey, why'd you blow the game? Yeah. But I would say to him, I'm not going to come to you every time you blow a game. But every once in a while, when you come into a game, I'm going to get you. You know, like we're going to, like, and I, I try to tell all the relievers now. Like I did, like a couple of days ago, we had a really good Friday night. We had yeah. a really good. They night did. of all Picked the relievers. Yep. So I went to him and I and I go, you know what? Post game, I'm not doing hitters. I'm gonna do all you guys that pitch tonight. I go, yeah, and and I told, I remember I told Tyler Clippert because he's new, but he's been around a long time. I go relief, I go relief pitching is like a, a kicker in football. We don't mention you guys or care about you guys unless you screw up. I go, so I want to give you guys love when you have a night like this. I go, because there's gonna be a day or night where I gotta come to you after a tough game. So I try to do that. So even if I ask a question that pisses a guy off. I think they know that I respect them, and I'm not there trying to. I'm not making a. I'm not making a joke of their of the, what they do. Like yesterday, here's a good one, and I'll give this away. He's a young guy, Zach Plesac. I love. Wow, him. is he come in and pitch? He's phenomenal. He's got the perfect. Like I don't know. Like forget what you see on the field. I just like what I see. Like he just like a young bulldog. Yeah, he's and I said uh, he's got an arrogance to him, but a good arrogance. There's there's good every athlete. You know what I like, and they call it swagger now. He has yeah. he has it. He has it. So yesterday, it was nice weather, first nice weather at home. And he's a kid. He's still figuring it all out. This is what I love about this. And these are the things you don't see on TV. Or So he warms up yesterday, JT. He's, you know, he's throwing it hard out in the bullpen. And I look, and it's for a 110 start. It's 12.55, and our starting pitcher is sitting on the bench. And I go, and I look around and go, what the heck is he doing? Like, and, I, and, I, and, uh, and they go, oh, he's warmed up. He's ready to go. 
what happens? First guy, boom, home run. And we all look at each other. So so before we did post-game interviews last night, Mike Clevenger's locker is next to him. And I go, hey, Clev, you go tell the rookie you might want to warm up till 1 o'clock from now on. And he's, like, getting dressed, and he whips his head around. Please, Zach does. And he goes, I thought the game started at 1.05. I go, dude, you were sitting on a bench at 12.55. I go, you've done that twice now against the Reds and yesterday. And I go, you give up back-to-back homers in the first inning. And But I'm totally – he got it. Yeah. I was messing with him. And when it was time to interview him, I didn't go, hey, you going to change your routine? He already had said to me, I got it. I got to change my routine. I got I to gotta be sweating when I go out in the mound. But he knew that I – and I think that's the other thing I try to show these guys is like, hey, I see a lot of what's going on on the field. I'm not going to embarrass you, though, and bury you with it. And it was cool because the kid goes, yeah, you're right. I have to warm up longer. I've got to figure out a better routine. I've got to start better. Yeah. And so I do those little things. And I, when I have people go around with me, it's like have a conversation with them before you talk to them because they'll have an idea of, hey, I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm just – you know, I want to talk through – why did this happen or why didn't this happen? And a lot of times these guys are great. The other thing that's happened with the Indians has been great for me is when we're at home, Corey Kluber will sit right next to me for the first two innings. And it's not to sit next to me, but he likes that seat. And I'll go through and like all the other pitchers, it's like a, it's like a turn stop. And like, it's, if, if I ever get to write a book, JT, it'll be sitting at the corner of that dugout, the corner, of the, the dugout, corner of the dugout. Title. That's your and, title. And I'm telling you, it goes Corey Kluber for a couple of innings. Then you'll get Bieber for a couple of innings. Clevenger for an inning. Then you'll get Frankie will come sit there. Jose will come sit there. And and it's not that even like – it's just like the everyday conversations. You know, the, you know, how's this or how's that? Or you're talking to him before in a bat or what are you looking for? What? And like I said, 90% of it never makes the air. Sure. But it helps me in the everyday – and so I, to, to, a long story short – I try to be personable with these guys. I try to talk to them. I don't, you know, I ask them about their craft or where they learn certain things or why they're not comfortable. And there's times where Frankie will say, Andre, don't, don't tell people. Don't, I don't want people to know that. Or I've had yeah. Frankie come out of the clubhouse, run out there and go, what the hell did you tell him that for? And I'm like, I'm so like, they're listening. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, I had a couple of weeks ago, Kipnis, when he was hurt, he came out and he goes, he goes, come on, Dre. He goes, you're better than that. That was too fluffy. He goes, you're being too nice. We stink. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, well, that's, I go, okay. I go, give me the mic. I got to take the mic. I go, Hey, we stink. I go, Jason Kipnis wanted me to tell you that. So they, I think they have a pretty good feel because they watch, their wives watch, the girlfriends watch, the moms and dads watch. Yeah, it doesn't get passed. Though. No, they know, and they know if you're genuine. Be genuine is what I was saying. I think people know that. And I also think it's pretty genuine when if they have a, a walk off, you're gonna be uh, in the yeah, uh, you're gonna be in the uh, crosshairs <laughs> yeah. of that Gatorade bucket. I mean, how do you take it? The first time it happened, who was the first? Oh, uh, first time it happened, it was like an April game at home. Yango. Of course, it yeah, was it was cold as could be, and it didn't bother me that much because I was layered up. But you know, like the top half, it, and um, and it, when it happened, like it's like slow mo. Like I could dump water on you 15 times, and you and I could tell you it's coming because like half the time now I know it's coming, and like I'm just used to it. Um, but the first time, how you don't yell a word that can't be said on air. And all I and all I had was my <laughs> I know produ- that word. Too. Yeah, yeah. And I had a producer in my ear, and all he just said, he kept saying, "Live on air, live <laughs> on air, live on air." Like and I was like, "Hey, you're live." Don't say, and don't then, say it, then I heard it short. What you think? Yeah. <laughs> then I heard it short circuit my ear, and it's oh, kind of yeah. like then I'm on an island. I can't hear the truck. I, I can't, and I'm just like, I hope my mic's working. If not, don't take it away. Um, it's it's. It's funny because they almost and I, I they almost made a T-shirt of me last year and like people have made the bobbleheads. 
Tito even says it's almost like you're a part of the team, and I I appreciate that so much. But well, they co- they have confidence in you first of all. Yeah. They, you wouldn't be getting that stuff. right, and I appreciate it. I know my role, and I respect those guys, and I respect the work they put in to get where they're at. I remember hearing Eric Wedge say he never went between the lines after a game to shake his guy's hand because those guys did all the work out there, and I stand by that 100. percent So for them to want to incorporate me. It's awesome. It's fun. I know they generally do it because they love me and they love messing with me. The other night, though, Naquin made that play Friday night, makes the play, and 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 they went to go dump the water on us. And, and he goes, wait a minute. And Kip goes, it wasn't a walk-off. And Cleverger goes, so what? That was great. Get out. And like and as he did it, and I kept talking to him, and Naquin goes, you set me up. I go, dude, do you know how many times you put a bucket of Gatorade on my head? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, last two years ago, and this is, a, and you know this, as being a parent, um, one night, it happened, and the picture in the cover to Plain Dealer was the Gatorade bucket over my head <laughs> and me holding the mic because I'm still trying to, like, because to me it's like, rather than fight it, take it and, and make it yeah. work. So it's on the cover of the, of the Plain Dealer, and I'm walking my daughter to the bus stop, and my son is with us, um, and three families in our neighborhood are all going, hey, can you sign this? Hey, look at your dad. PD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Isabella, my da- my lovely little daughter who is very aware, very aware, and she loves baseball too, which is great for me. Um, she goes, they do that all the time. Like, kind of, <laughs> like, like, not a big deal to her at all. My dad like, gets stretched yeah. all the time. So then when I go to her, like, she, and like, for me, and like, like I try to help out with her t-ball team, and I'm, I can't coach. I'm, I'm there when I'm there, but she begged me last week. She's like, Dad, if, she goes, if you can come this weekend and you be our coach, I'd appreciate it. And I go, and I'm like, babe, I, you know, and I go, that's not my team. And she goes, no, we need you. And I'm like, okay. So I show up and it's picture day and the coach didn't show up. And my wife goes, hey, go stand up there with him. And I'm in the damn picture of the T-ball. And I'm like, I'm not a coach. never coached. No. But my daughter has got the biggest smile on her face. So I'm Daddy's like, with yeah, me. Yeah, she's like, he's here. So and that's been the cool part. My daughter just like, even like, it's been cool to watch my kids because they've come to spring training. They've come to the, they know, like I said, the players are, hey, Frankie, hey, you know, they know the guys. And yesterday we got home from dinner and Isabella looked at me and this is her way of staying up late. She goes, Dad, is there a good baseball game on tonight or something? Oh, she is. And a yeah, smart yeah. Kid. she goes, is there baseball or basketball on? And I'm like, no, hon, it's pretty slow tonight. And my wife played soccer in college and my son is taking into soccer. Uh, very well and uh she goes well i wanted to sit with you and watch a game tonight that'd be cool and she's like <laughs> crushing me and i'm like hon you know it's time for bed and i'm like well we'll see if there's something on yeah. and so that's been the cool thing like she comes to, they came to the game they come to games on sunday that's nice that you can kind of intermingle a little yes the, the family and you do your job you're a professional yeah i get that all right i know you got to get to the ballpark one more question before okay. you before you go um 10 years from now what do you think you're going to be doing is there a, wow. a, a grand scheme of things that Dre not? Yeah, Dre not. in his early 50s, he's going to be uh, I, busy doing I just know national I, broadcasts. Uh, I'm baby. I, Swenson, take so, out. Yeah, I'll run him on Swenson. I'll weigh 400 pounds running it out to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd love to own a Swenson's. That's a great question. Um, my life, I love where I'm at right now in life. I'm not completely satisfied. I don't think I'll ever be completely satisfied. Um I, w- I grew up dreaming of being around you or being around, you know, Trevisano or being around Casey Coleman, Jim Donovan. Uh, Matt Underwood has become one of my best friends. Uh, Joe Tate, I got to work around Joe Tate for a little while, and that meant everything to me. Um, so being in Northeast Ohio has been everything. And cool. now, obviously, growing up, you would say, yeah, I want to be national. I want to be that guy. 
and that's still there. There's a dream of that and of leading a broadcast. Leading a, a, a broadcast of play-by-play is, is always going to be there. It's never going to go away. Um, but my wife's business and her career is very important in our lives, too. And so far, it's worked out. Um, she has an industry where she's working with kids with autism and working with kids with special needs. And she's built a very strong base here in Northeast Ohio on the east side. On the west side, she's doing swimming lessons now down in Akron at the JCC. Um, her stranglehold on what she's trying to accomplish and do with people is very important to, to our, my family. Um, our kids, we have our kids coming. This is Rec to Connect. Rec to Connect is my wife's business is working with kids with special needs and even not even kids now. We, she's got adults she's working Sweet. with. She's yeah. got a ton of people that are working for her. We're not, we're not, she hasn't become overly rich, obscenely rich doing it. Uh, but as a person, she has. And I know the effect that's done. Sweet. So to be honest with you, in 10 years, I hope somebody in this radius of 30 miles is still willing to pay me <laughs> to be on their <laughs> television station or their radio station. Because as much as I would like to say, yeah, you know, if it worked, it'd be nice to do national games. But I think I'm always going to be here as long as Rec to Connect is here and as long as my – That's the, cool. The, the process that my wife has put in, the hard work she's put in, and the differences we've seen in the families and the people and the smiles that she's generated. She's truly the star of the Knott household. I just happen to get to wear the belt every night at 7 o'clock. But at, at the end of the day, she's a star. So it'll be based off. Now, if Rectin Connect becomes a national power, then I won't work. <laughs> I would never not be able to work. I've always My running joke with my wife has always been... Uh, when she makes it big, I'll just you know I'll get my license and I'll drive the pick, I'll drive a van and I'll pick up all the kids and bring them to the pool and and do that. So that's in in all honesty. In the next ten years, I hope to keep growing, but I'll probably be around here because I don't think I have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dre, uh, what a pleasure! I I've always admired your work. Real proud of you. Thank You're you. one of the great young stars of our business. So I wish you nothing but continued success and obviously hope to. Uh, Stay uh, friends and uh, watch your career grow as Always. years go on, buddy. Thank you very much. You got to come back on our podcast because I got to ask you what you're going to be doing in 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again to Andre Knott for taking the time to chat with us today here on this week's edition of Tellage Talks. Let us know what you think. We certainly would love any kind of feedback that you have. And also, if you're in the Cleveland area and have the opportunity to support Rec to Connect, that would be certainly appreciated by Jen Knott and the people associated with that outstanding organization. Thanks for listening. We'll see you the next time, everybody. This is John Tellich, and this is another edition of Tellich Talks.